the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Seven points. This is SRN News. W262CP, Bayonet Point. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, what can we learn from this in terms of uh, who we should be kind to? And that's what we're looking at. Who are the recipients? Is there a particular recipient uh, type of person that we ought to be kind to? Well, we do learn some things. Well, first of all, the Bible teaches that we should be kind to all. In a general way, we ought to be loving and kind to everybody. That's certainly true. However, Scripture appears to emphasize that God's heart of compassion and ours should be specifically directed at those who are hurting. Compassion and kindness and mercy are always in the context of someone who's suffering, someone who's in need, someone who is really uh, hurting, and, and also, add this to it, cannot reciprocate. They cannot pay you back. They can't do it. I love the story of an elderly lady named Mamie. She always went to a branch post office in her town because the postal employees were very friendly. She went there to buy stamps just before Christmas one year, and the lines were unusually long. Someone pointed out that there was no need to wait in line because there was a stamp machine in the lobby. I know, said Mamie, but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis. <laughs> Someone at that post office knew something that a lot of people who work behind a counter need to learn. If you want to win the world, don't try to hammer it into submission. Melt it with kindness. The Bible makes it pretty clear that we should focus our kindness, especially on people who are unable to return the favor. We'll learn why today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher for these daily Bible lessons. He has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we are in the midst of a three-part message about the kindness of God. It is part of a series concerning the life of David. After all King Saul had done to try and kill David, you would think David would do what most kings did in those days when they assumed the throne. They killed all the descendants of the previous king. But David did the opposite. He wanted to show kindness to Saul's family, especially to that of his friend Jonathan. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and see how we can apply David's wonderful example to our own lives. Here's Pastor Steve. Now, love is not a feeling. We need to keep that in mind. And uh, you may not like certain people, but love means I'm committed to doing what's best for them, meeting their needs, being kind, showing them compassion, and so forth, and ministering in the best way I, I can. Same thing as 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know, we know John 3.16. How about 1 John 3.16? Where John writes, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I don't think he means physically, because sometimes that's too easy. I think he means that in our daily walk, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to sacrifice. We ought to be giving. We ought to be concerned. Verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods, that is material possessions, and uh, 
and, and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So John gives us a specific, tangible way we can love others. You see somebody who has a physical need and you have the ability to meet that need, you're to do it. And then John later goes on to say, let's not love just in word, let's love in deed. That is to say, let's not just sing about it. Let's not just talk about loving. Let's not go up to people and say, hey, I love you. Uh, actually, the best thing is be quiet and do what's right. That's the best thing to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he commands us to be kind and, uh, and, and warm-hearted and tender-hearted towards people. Now, um, in line with this truth, in line with all of this, that we should be so moved and motivated to be merciful to others because, because of this. We're the only people who really understand kindness. Do you, do you understand that? Because we have received the most incredible kindness and mercy in our salvation in Jesus Christ. We're the only ones who can be truly kind to others because we're the only ones who can comprehend it. Truly comprehend it. Let me, let me show you what I mean. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it's possible that we can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It's possible we can grieve the, the Spirit of God. It's possible that, that he would be saddened, that God the Holy Spirit would be saddened by us. How, how can we make him sad? By not being kind. Verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. Now that's a command. Paul says, put the other stuff away. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. There are no exceptions here. You have to be kind to obnoxious believers as well. I mean, that's, there, there are no exceptions. And uh, we can do that because the love of God abides in us. Notice uh, also just a few chapters later, Titus, a few books later. This is a great, a great passage. Titus chapter 3. And by the way, once we finish, Lord willing, once we finish our study on David, we want to move into a study of Titus. Never taught that book. I think it's exciting and uh, been waiting for years to teach it. And the, and the time is coming soon. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, remind them to be subject to rulers to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one. Titus, remind the church to malign no one, which means that Christians malign people. Otherwise, you wouldn't say this. To be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Welcome to the way you once were. That's the way we were. Now, some of us carry that over into our Christian lives, and that's why Paul says, hey, put it off. Put it off. Oh, why? But notice verse 4. But when the kindness of our God, our God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, when, when God appeared in human form in the person of Jesus Christ, he saved us, verse 5, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Hey, you be merciful because he's been merciful to you. You've been saved because of mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. 
God has given you a new nature. He's given you the Holy Spirit as well, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I would say God has been exceedingly kind to us. Would you not agree? He has been very kind. Not only has he saved you, according to these verses, not only has he saved you from hell, but he's given you a brand new nature. He has regenerated you, which means to be born again, which means you have the life of God in you. You have a new nature, and therefore that new nature motivates you and moves you to love others and be kind to them. And you have no excuse. You have no excuse. You can be obedient by being kind to others, regardless of your personal feelings towards them. And I think that's the thing that you want to nail down from 2 Samuel as we turn back there, that David uh, had never met any of Jonathan's descendants. He didn't know who was alive. He didn't know what their personality was. That was absolutely irrelevant. He just, for the sake of Jonathan, wanted to be kind. And you and I, for the sake of Jesus Christ, need to be kind, regardless of our personal feelings. And if you're not kind to someone, if you hear something like this, and you're not motivated, you're not moved, you don't, you don't care, then First John says, he who says he abides in him and yet does not walk the way Jesus Christ walks is a liar. He doesn't know him. It may be, it's one thing to be disobedient and not know the truth, but when you're confronted with the truth, as so clearly is spelled out in Scripture about being kind, and you're not motivated to do anything, you don't have an intention to do anything, you don't care what the Word says, then i got to tell you, you're not a believer. Believers are convicted by the word of God and they say, oh God, I, I have not been as kind as I should be. I need to be. Show me where. That's the mark of a true Christian. So the first thing we learn from David about God's kindness is that it has proper motives. Doesn't do it to get people to do kind things for them. Doesn't do it because it feels obligated. Uh, it, it just does it because the love of Christ constrains them. Secondly, not only does God's kindness have a proper motive, but it also has a particular recipient. Uh, mercy is not for everybody. In a general sense, we're to be merciful to everybody, but there's a certain kind of person with, uh, which, with which we're to be uh, to demonstrate mercy towards. Notice verses 2 and 3 as we go back to 2 Samuel. Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not yet any one of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who's crippled in both feet. Now, once David uh, sets his heart on showing the kindness of, of God to the house of Saul, he makes inquiry. Is there anybody alive that I can do? He's lost track. Of it. He doesn't know what's, what's happened. And uh, he's told that one of Jonathan's children is still alive. He's a son. And uh, this son, we learn later, his name is Mephibosheth, and he is lame in both his feet. Now, how did, how did he get like it? Was he born lame? I know it's very interesting. If you look at 2 Samuel 4.4, 4, you'll see. Just turn back a few chapters. We didn't cover this, but um, you'll see it here. 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. It's a sad story. Now, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan uh, then came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. That is, uh, Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, 
And when word came to, to his household, his, uh, his nurse grabbed him and started running off and uh, fell. And his most likely his feet were broken and never healed properly. And now he was lame. One, um, one writer tried to capture the, the scene this way with these words. A young boy, age five, perfectly healthy, playing in the fields with his friends, laughing, running, happy. Then suddenly the messenger running frantically, the confusion, the news, something had happened, something horrible. The king was the tears, the weeping, but not just the king, his son, daddy. Suddenly the nurse rushing, desperate, trying to carry the boy, but she couldn't hold him. The sudden fall, the horrible sound of cracking bones, fragile, growing, developing bones, the indescribable pain the darkness. And now it's about seven and a half years later, which would make Mephibosheth somewhere around 12, 13 years old, and he's still lame. He's crippled in both his feet, never healed properly, didn't have proper medical attention. And life for Mephibosheth has really gone sour. A horrible life. He's uh, lived a very difficult existence we go back to chapter 9, verse 4. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he's in the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, in Lo-Debar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, from Lo-Debar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. Now, from these verses, we learn several things about this lame son of Jonathan. First of all, we learn that he's been living in a place called Lodabar. That may not mean a whole lot to you, but uh, it is important because this was the wilderness side of the Jordan River. The name, actually the name Lodabar in Hebrew literally means no pasture, no life. In other words, he's been living in the barren fields of Israel, hiding from David for fear of his life. Remember, he is the grandson of David's enemy, the former king. He's been hiding. He's gone from living like a prince, perhaps in the palace, to someone who's living in the barren areas, a poor boy taken in by the house of Mecca. Secondly, we learn another thing. We learn about that. Uh, we learn that this young man's name is Mephibosheth. You know what that means? He wasn't born with that name. He was born, by the way, with the name, it, it says in 1 Chronicles 8.34, Meribal, which means fighter, warrior for Baal. I don't know why I got that name, Baal, but uh, he's a fighter. That was his given name. You know what Mephibosheth means? That's the name he took on because he was like this. It means a shameful one. That's what it means. One Bible teacher says this, the root of the Hebrew word conveys the idea of one who is despised or held in contempt, a laughing stock, a shameful thing, humiliation. He, he feels that way. Notice verse 8. After it says again, he prostrated himself and he said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? There's no dignity to this young man. Feels like a dead dog. He's been living in the pastures, barren field. He's probably been laughed at. He can't get around without crutches dragging himself around. He's a laughing stock. He once was the prince. 
Now he's just a nothing. He feels like a dead dog. It's a pitiful sight. Pitiful boy, shameful, lame, isolated, laughed at. But it's to this very outcast that David decides to pour out God's kindness. And that is just what kindness is all about. Now, what can we learn from this in terms of uh, who we should be kind to? And that's what we're looking at. Who are the recipients? Is there a particular recipient uh, type of person that we ought to be kind to? Well, we do learn some things. Well, first of all, the Bible teaches that we should be kind to all. In a general way, we ought to be loving and kind to everybody. That's, that's certainly true. However, Scripture appears to emphasize that God's heart of compassion and ours should be specifically directed at those who are hurting. Compassion and kindness and mercy are always in the context of someone who's suffering, someone who's in need, someone who is really uh, hurting, and, and also, add this to it, cannot reciprocate. They cannot pay you back. They can't do it. Let me show you what I mean. For example, when Jesus walked on this planet, much of his ministry was directed towards who? People who were poor, people who were lame, people who were blind, people who had illnesses, people who were demon-possessed. And what did he do for them? He healed them. He healed them. Compassion. He was never too busy to be compassionate. He actually touched lepers. He expressed tenderness. He always had time for the outcast, Jesus was so compassionate that many of his healings were done when? On the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, those, those absolute hypocrites, kept criticizing him for healing on the Sabbath and Jesus refused to change. He never broke the Sabbath, by the way. That was never God's intention that you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. That's, that's ludicrous. But you know why he healed on the Sabbath? Because when he came in contact with human misery, he didn't want another day to go by in which that person would, would remain in that miserable state. And so he healed them regardless of the fact that the Pharisees, once they saw this, said, we've got to kill this guy. Can't have someone doing that and leading the people. But there's some specific portions of Scripture that, that tell us how merciful Jesus really is. In um, Mark chapter 1, you don't need to turn there. Let me just read it to you. Verse 40, it says, for example, and a leper came up to him, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, did Jesus say, beat it? I'm teaching. What are you doing here? Don't get too close. We might get it. But no, it says, verse 41, and move with compassion. He stretched out his hand. Nobody touched a leper. Nobody touched a leper, but Jesus did. And he touched him and said to him, I'm willing be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Probably the first time in years that anybody has ever put a physical hand on that man. Amazing. Chapter 1, same chapter, verse 32. And when evening had come after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and all those who were demon possessed. The whole city had gathered at the door and he healed many who were ill with various diseases. He cast out many demons and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. This had been, if you follow Mark 1, this had been a very busy day in the life of our Lord. He, was, he must have been tired. It started with the Sabbath um, uh, time in the synagogue. And it must have been a very tiring day. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then now, when he wants to rest at night and he's tired, the whole city comes. Now, granted, it wasn't a big city. When the Bible says silly, city, it was, it was small villages on, around the Sea of Galilee. But there had to be a lot of people who came to him. And he must, have been, he, he must have been very tired. And yet he did not turn any away. Why? Because he was compassionate. This is 
the heart of God. And you know what? Let me tell you this, that that um, many of you may think, well, you know, we know the theology of the Old Testament. That was his his miracles were one way that he fulfilled prophecy that the people would know that he was the Messiah. And that's true. Remember when John the Baptist was in prison, he sent somebody to to ask, are you the Messiah or someone else coming? Jesus said, you go tell John the blind receive their sight. The lame are walking. The poor are ministered to. What was he saying? He was saying, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament because the Old Testament said when Messiah comes, that's what you'll see. But I don't think we should ever think that Jesus just did miracles to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. He did miracles because that was the heart of God and compassion. He could have done miracles of nature. He could have done, he could have done, he could have moved mountains, could have had trees uprooted. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Instead, he healed people because he was compassionate. So to whom are we to express kindness? To those who have specific needs, to those who are hurting, whether it be physical or emotional pain, like Mephibosheth. But the recipients of kindness are also to have another quality beyond these. And uh, we are to minister and be kind to people who can't repay us. You may wonder, where did you get that? I got it from Luke chapter 14. So let's turn there. Jesus said it, Luke chapter 14, verse 12. This is a great, great passage of Scripture, and you ought, to, you ought to be very familiar with this. I've hardly heard anybody ever speak on this, but it's, it's in the Bible, and uh, we need to uh, obey it. Luke 14, it's one of the, the basis for our able ministry. Luke 14, verse 12. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, that is, he invited him to for a meal. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Wow. Wow. Now, I never saw that in Scripture. Well, underline it or mark it down. This just puts kindness in a whole different category, doesn't it? Special category of being so unselfish. Because some of us are nice to people because we hope they'll be nice back to us. What Jesus said is be nice to people who can't be back, who can't return your kindness to you. That's a, that's a great thing. The fact is... If we are only kind to people whom we expect to repay us, it isn't kindness at all. You might better call it a loan that may or may not earn interest. No, it is only kindness if we've received nothing in return. We will conclude this lesson on kindness on the next Verse by Verse. Thanks for being with us today for another study from God's Word. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff has been serving now for over 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you are ever in the Clearwater area on a Sunday morning and looking for a place to worship, I hope you will come to Lakeside. Pastor Steve would be delighted to meet you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. That is midway between U.S. 19 and the beaches. These weekday adaptations of Pastor Steve's sermons are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith-based ministry, and we appreciate the gifts and prayers of our listeners. If you are one of our supporters, we thank you for helping us to keep these classes on the air. If listening to these lessons has helped you, maybe gotten you through a difficult time, 
I hope you will prayerfully consider helping keep the programs on this station. To learn more about how you can participate, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio, all one word. And click on the Support Us link. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff, and it's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you receive on Verse by Verse. Learn more about Verse by Verse and listen online at versebyverseradio.org. Thank you. We also have links to help you listen again to today's broadcast or any of our previous ones. Once again, that's versebyverseradio.org. The entire message from which today's class was taken is available on CD or cassette. To order your copy, call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and telephone number, and we will get back to you during regular office hours. That number again is 727-239-0306. We know that David wanted to do something wonderful for Mephibosheth, but Mephibosheth didn't know that. He was afraid of David and hid from him in the wilderness. That is a good picture of the sinner whom God wants to bless, but the sinner is afraid and tries to hide from God. Are you hiding from the God who wants so much to show you his kindness? If so, I hope you will trust his love for you. Repent of your sinning and running and trust Christ as your Savior today. Those of us who have already received God's grace know that while we do not deserve His mercy, God loves us supremely. And I imagine that each of us knows a Mephibosheth or two, someone who is in real need. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will conclude this message on... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.